This morning as we gather together, I want you to think about what you would do if someone were to haul you off to court to try you for being a Christian. You've all heard the question before, would there be any evidence, right? Would there be any evidence? What evidence of your faith in Jesus Christ would people find? What kind of evidence would someone find if they were to try to convict you of being a a Christian? Be careful how you answer that question. You might, you know, you might first say, well, I'm here. Look, I'm here. I go to church. Is that evidence that you're a Christian? Maybe um, you might say, well, look at this Bible I carry. I mean, this is expensive. Look at the leather. Isn't that nice? Look at all the notes that I've kept over the years. There's evidence. I'm a Christian. Um, you might say, we just took an offering. I gave. I give. You could look at my records. I give a lot, or I've given a lot over the years. I've given faithfully. I give. I'm a Christian, right? Or... Um, I do good things. I'm a good person. I'm not mean to people. I help people. I've even picked up a hitchhiker about ten years ago, and you know, I'm I'm a good person. I'm okay. Surely that's evidence that I'm a Christian. How how about my clean speech? I don't tell those kinds of stories that people at work do, and um, not like my uncle Vinny, you know. And uh, I don't swear and. And I'm kind to my family. That's evidence. Surely that's evidence I'm a Christian. How do we know we're growing as Christians? How do we know that we are becoming more and more Christ-like? How are we to know if we're really growing in Christ-likeness as a church? Those are some important questions for the church. Those are important questions for each and every believer. It's an important thought process to go through from time to time to examine your own heart and say, what kind of evidence is coming from my life that shows I'm a believer, that I really truly trust in Jesus Christ? A couple of weeks ago, it was Palm Sunday, we studied in the book of Colossians with the purpose of answering the question, who is Jesus and why did he die for me? And the book of Colossians is some of the greatest teaching in the Scriptures about the supremacy of Christ and about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. We're going to go back to Colossians today. As a matter of fact, today, you can go there now if you want. Take your copy of the Scriptures and turn to the book of Colossians. Today we begin a new series in the book of Colossians. It's been interesting to me how as I wrap up one series of studies, I've been thinking and praying about where the Lord would have me study, and I've got ideas from my reading and from other uh, other areas of my life, and it just has been interesting how God has again and again brought me back to Colossians. We we studied here in Colossians in chapter one a couple of weeks ago. We we in the study that we're using for Sunday school, it began this morning on that same passage that we studied a couple of weeks ago in Colossians, and so we begin the series today uh, in this brief and a short book of Colossians, uh, but a series that I believe will be very beneficial to us as as it should be. Uh, This book of Colossians contains some of the greatest teaching in the Scriptures about Jesus Christ, about His supremacy, about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. R. Kent Hughes writes that 
There is no book in the New Testament, including John's Gospel, which presents such a comprehensive picture of the fullness of Christ. Accordingly, there is no writing better equipped to draw us upward than the book of Colossians. And I would suggest that God's people could always stand a good dose of being drawn upward. We need to be drawn upward today, don't we? We need to, in this world that we live in, be drawn to Jesus Christ and be drawn upward out of, out of the life in which we live from time to time because things can be disheartening and discouraging. We need to be drawn upward and to Jesus Christ. As long as we remain in this world, we need to be drawn upward by the supreme greatness and fullness of Jesus Christ. That's why we're in Colossians. So my desire as we enter this new series of studies in Colossians is that we, that we study together. And as we study here together, we will learn of Christ and grow in our walk with Christ and come away strengthened as we see this grand view of Jesus Christ in this great New Testament book. Before we read together, I want to pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this precious book that we hold in our hands and and how good you are to give us your word in a written form that we can read and study and and, and uh, trust in your Holy Spirit to do its work in revealing your truth to us through it. Lord, we ask for your wisdom today. We ask for that work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds and on each person today as we study your word that we would come away encouraged and challenged and strengthened for today and tomorrow and the days that remain for us as we serve you as a people, as we live for you as a church, that we might be strengthened in our walk with Christ. Lord, that we would bask in the glory of the, the, the love of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would instruct us, teach us from your word today. We thank you that we can take this time that we have to come together and to quiet our hearts and to remove distractions from our, from our lives and to come together for fellowship and to worship you and to study your word. Lord, we ask that you would do your work in our hearts through the word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. I want to read the first eight verses. I want you to follow along in your copy of the scriptures as I read Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. In this letter, Paul writes primarily his purpose for writing. 
primarily to address a major difficulty the church at Colossae was facing. Paul had not been to Colossae. It's likely that he had not been to Colossae, nor had he met the believers there, but he did, he did know Epaphras. He did know Philemon, who had come to faith in Christ as a result of his ministry, and he had a, a real concern for the church at Colossae as it was uh, one of the fruits of his labors in the gospel not directly, but indirectly through others who came along and started the work. And so when a problem arose, it was natural for Epaphras to come to Paul for advice. And so this letter comes about. Now, most commentators agree that it's likely that in Colossae they are dealing with with Gnosticism, the difficulty, the problem that Paul is writing this letter to address. It's likely they're dealing with Gnosticism, with a mix of legalism, with a mix of mysticism. Um, sounds familiar, doesn't it, in the day in which we live? I, uh, I spoke of this briefly a couple of weeks ago, but those who teach Gnosticism believe only the spirit was good and anything created, anything made of matter was, was evil. And so they reasoned that God could not have been the, the creator, since uh, that Jesus could not have been the creator and God could not have been the creator through Jesus. Since the spirit, which is which is good, couldn't have anything to do with evil, couldn't touch evil. Their, their belief led to, and basically their belief led to a denial that Jesus was God in human flesh. And they did not believe that Christ was the creator as Scripture teaches. That's, that's a, a kind of a significant simplification of the problem of Gnosticism, but it's, but it's an indicator of the severity of the, of the problem that Paul was writing to address. And it's important that Paul write to the, to the church at Colossae for this, this purpose, to help ground them in their faith and to remind them of the truths of Jesus Christ. Now, this letter is no less important for the church today. Uh, Warren Wearsby warns that people are trying, he says, to harmonize and unite many different schools of thought and come up with a superior religion. Our evangelical churches are even in danger of diluting the faith in their loving attempt to understand the beliefs of others, mysticism, legalism, Eastern religions, asceticism, and man-made philosophies are secretly creeping into churches. They are not denying Christ, but they are dethroning him and robbing him of his rightful place of preeminence. In all things, we need to remember that Christ is preeminent. Christ is our focus. The church today is continually confronted with attacks on the deity of Christ in books, in movies, in media. And the church at large is being weakened from within by those who have an anemic understanding of the gospel and a warped belief of who Jesus is. And so it's important, just as important for the church to address these problems today as it was for Paul to, to address it with the Colossian church. But I want you to notice something in the text that we read this morning. Notice in the text of our study today, we find that Paul goes about the work of encouraging the church first. He doesn't jump right in and deal with the problem at hand, but he encourages the church. And before he begins to deal with that problem, he brings to light some of the good things that he's heard about them. Now, the encouraging he does is an important foundation for dealing with the problem. And I want you to see why. Because Paul begins this letter with a greeting 
he, he, he makes sure that they, he's identifying who he is, and he begins with this greeting that identifies himself and points to his qualifications for sending this letter. And then he moves on into encouraging them and building them up, helping build them up in their faith and saying, look, this is, these are the good things I've heard about you. Look at the greeting again, verse 1. Again, he identifies himself, points to his qualifications for sending this letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Messengers sent by the will of God. Paul was an apostle. Um, it means that he was a messenger from God. Paul says it this way in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart, for the gospel of God. You see, it's, it's by the divine will of God, by God's choosing and sending that Paul is there to guide the church. And if there's any doubt about whether Paul was chosen by God, all you have to do is go back to Acts chapter 9, right? And, and look at the confrontation that God, or Jesus had with Paul on the road to Damascus where he confronts Paul and stops him and says, who are you and where are you going, right? And he got Paul's attention and Paul yielded to Christ. So verse 1 is a brief presentation of the authority of the message that's coming to them by way of this letter and the authority of the messenger. Verse 2, look at it again, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now Paul calls these believers saints and faithful brothers, which really emphasizes the fact that they too had been set apart for God. Paul, he says, look, God set me apart. God chose me to deliver a message, not only to you, to many others, but to be his apostle, to be his messenger of the truth. But get this, you are, you are saints. You are faithful brothers in Christ. He calls them Saints and faithful brothers emphasizing that they too had been set apart for God. In other words, though they had never met, they and Paul were part of the same family, right? We say God's family, part of God's family. Paul calls them believers and saints and faithful brothers. Now, as part of his greeting, Paul reminds them of God's grace and how we often need to be reminded of God's grace, don't we? I think it's a reminder to enjoy the blessing of God's unmerited favor. Enjoy God's grace. Enjoy the blessing that God has showered upon you through His grace. And He reminds them of, of the peace that's only possible because of God's presence in the life of a believer. You know, we might clamor for peace, but the only way we'll have peace is if we depend upon Jesus Christ and His power and His work in our hearts and, and minds. And next, Paul shares with them in the following verses, next Paul shares with them praise of thankfulness. But I want you to note where the praise of thankfulness is directed. He thanks God first in verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, why do we thank God? Right? Why do we thank God? We thank God because, as Hebrews 12.2 tells us, Jesus is the founder and perfecter or author and finisher of our faith. 
Salvation is a gift of God, so he deserves all the thanks, all the praise. Any good thing that comes from our life isn't a result of our goodness. It's a result of his goodness. It's a result of his grace, a result of his mercy. So he deserves, God deserves all the thanks, all the praise. And I want you to note, too, that though Paul has not met them, he's praying for them. He's praying for them. I I take this as a reminder to pray for the saints in Jesus Christ elsewhere. We do that. We pray for saints elsewhere. Often we'll pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in this community. People maybe we've never met. We're still serving Christ and preaching the gospel. I would suggest that you need to pray for the saints and believers in churches who are being ministered to by the missionaries that we support around the world. Pray for those saints, though you've never met them. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul reminds them, I've never met you, but I'm praying for you. Now note the reason for the thanksgiving to God in prayer in verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints... What's Paul thankful for? He's thankful for their faith. He thanks God for their faith, their faith in Christ Jesus. Here's here's a body of believers in the midst of a culture of confusion that's twisting and misrepresenting Jesus Christ, yet they have remained true and steadfast. Their faith is in the Lord of the gospel, Jesus Christ. He's also thankful for their love for all the saints. Now, how is it they could have a love for all the saints? I wondered, you know, were people different then? Were there no personality conflicts then? (laughs) I'm sure there were. But their love for the brothers and sisters in Christ was the result of their faith in Jesus Christ. In the original language, the root word for faith means this. It means to obey. It means obey. So if you believe, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, what do you do? You obey Jesus Christ, right? You obey God's word. Faith leads to action. Faith leads to obedience. If you believe, you obey. Romans 1.5 speaks of the obedience. The obedience of faith, faith in Jesus Christ, will move you to action. Where there is faith, there is obedience. There's there's action. How many have um, driven over or, or maybe you've walked over the Mackinac Bridge? Anybody? Lots of you? Driven over? Anybody ever walk over the Mackinac Bridge? A few? All right. Okay. Why do, you, why do you do that? You believe the bridge is going to hold you up, right? And because it's a long way around, right? You, you get to the bridge. If you're like me, you get to the bridge and you stop. And you get out and you look and you ask someone, does that bridge, you know, is that? No, you get to the bridge and you just drive across, don't you? Because you have faith in the bridge. Faith in the bridge leads you to action, which causes you to either drive or walk over the bridge with great faith and hope that you will not fall into the water below, right? Now, if you don't go over the bridge, you don't have faith, do you? That's not faith. That's foolishness because it's a long way around 
the bridge. And gas, you know, what, 275 or something like that a gallon? That is foolishness, isn't it? So faith in a bridge causes you to drive over it. Now, Paul reminds them of the object of their faith. What do they have faith in? Their faith and our faith is not, um, is not faith in faith. We don't have faith in faith. Oh, I have faith in my faith. No, no, no. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in someone, don't we? And that someone is Jesus Christ. Our faith is founded on Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Our faith is in Jesus Christ because on the third day, he rose again and conquered death and sin and hell and the grave. Amen? Our faith is in Jesus Christ because he lives. Now, with great thankfulness and praise to God, Paul encourages the believers at Colossae because he has heard of their faith and he has heard of their love. The testimony of their faith and the testimony of their love is spread. That's, let me tell you, that's evidence of Christ at work in his church. When others hear about the love and faith of God's people, that's evidence that God is doing a work and that is that God is growing that work and that God is growing his people. The testimony of their, their faith and love is spread and the evidence of their faith is their love. The evidence of our faith is our love. We have that phrase on the wall that we look at from time to time. Loving God, loving people. It's, it's a meaningful phrase for us. It ought to be a meaningful phrase for us, and it's there to remind you of why we exist, right? Because as we leave here, we go out into a world to show people the love of God. As we come in here, we come in to be built up and encouraged in the love of God, to love one another, but we leave to go love people. You want to know if we're a church that God, we're, we're the church that God wants us to be? You want to know how to measure success as a church? Here's, here's a measure of success in the church. And, and I would warn you that it's not more people. I love to see more people come in and worship with us and fellowship and grow. I love to see more people. That's why we're here. We want to see more people. But, but that's not a measure of success. Let me tell you, it's not more people. We're all about ministering to more people, but more people in the church isn't necessarily a good gauge of our obedience to Jesus Christ. God's measure for the effectiveness of the church is not in the numbers of people that it attracts. And you can apply that to any Christian ministry. It's not in the number of people that it attracts casinos attract a lot of people right i mean you know let's use that logic we want a lot of people let's bring in some games right but no casinos don't share the love of christ do they they don't teach jesus christ as lord and savior god's measure of the effectiveness of the church is in the testimony of its people let me say it again god's measure of the effectiveness of a church is in the testimony of its people it's in the testimony of their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for one another. You have faith in Christ, there ought to be an outcome, there ought to be some result, there ought to be love for one another. And there's another evidence of their growth in Christ that Paul encourages them over. It's, it's this, and we've sang about it this morning, it's their hope. Look at verses 5 and 6. 
because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. That's good news. That's what gospel means. In the word of truth, the good news. Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now Paul was thankful for their hope as well. And with faith, let me tell you, with faith comes hope. Hebrews 6.19 describes hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And let's just think about this. Where's the anchor for their hope? And where's the anchor for our hope? I would suggest that the anchor for their hope and ours is heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 describes our hope as a living hope because it's in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and reminds us that our inheritance is kept for us in heaven. Our inheritance is kept for us in heaven. Listen to the verses, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven. The believer, the believer certainly has a very different perspective, a very different view of this world and the future than does the unbeliever. The unbeliever, might I suggest, has no hope for tomorrow. The unbeliever lives for today. So, you know, the world says, so live for today. Get all you can get. Live, you know, what is it? Live hard and die. That's the world. As believers, you have a different perspective. As John MacArthur notes, one result of the believer's hope is a willingness to sacrifice the present on the altar of the future. You see, your hope makes it possible for you to sacrifice on the altar of of the present for hope in, in the future. As a believer, you look at life through the lens of Scripture, don't you? And through that lens, you see a bright future ahead. An eternal future with Christ in heaven. And because of your eternal perspective, you sing with the hymn writer of your strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Right? And as a Christian, you are willing to sacrifice in this world for the sake of the gospel. Because your faith moves you to action, your love, and your faith gives you hope for tomorrow and the future. And makes it makes you willing to sacrifice today so that you can advance the cause of Christ tomorrow in the lives of others so that you can look forward to an eternal reward someday. As followers of Christ, you're willing to suffer now because you're certain Hope is an eternal reward. And when I say certain, I mean sure. That's the kind of hope we're talking, to, talking about. Don't, don't be confused by the word hope. Sometimes we say, I hope it gets warmer soon. 
right? If you're in northern Michigan, you're going, come on, I hope it gets warmer soon. That's not, that's not the kind of hope we're talking about. This is a hope that's for sure. Your hope is in eternity. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. That is for certain. That's not an I hope for or I hope so hope. It's for certain. And so I say as a follower of Christ, you're willing to suffer now because you are certain and you have a certain hope that is in in an eternal reward. As a follower of Christ, you are willing to suffer because you have hope. As a follower of Christ, you are willing to deal with difficult people in the workplace because you have hope. As a follower of Christ, you're willing to deal with rascally teenagers because you have hope. As a follower of Christ, you're willing to deal with little guys and bring them along and teach them and instruct them and encourage them because you have hope for a bright future. As Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Suffer we do. But as a follower of Christ, you can do so willingly and joyfully because your hope is in the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I want you to note, too, that an evidence that we are walking with Christ will be fruit. There will be fruit. There will be growth. Verse 6, again, reminds us, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing. You know, the gospel... The good news at work in us, you know that it's doing its work in us when it's bearing fruit and growing. As verse 6 says, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now the word of God is like a seed and where it is planted and cultivated it grows. And I want you to notice that growing, that's in connection with hearing, there in verse 6 it says, Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God. You, it's bearing fruit, it's growing since the day you heard it. See the connection between growing and hearing? That's why I'm so glad you're here today, because you came to hear the word of God, didn't you? You came to hear the gospel, the good news. That's why you open your Bibles. You do, don't you? You open your Bibles. I trust you do open your Bibles during the week and study and pray and ask God to teach you through His Word because you know growth comes through hearing the Word. Fruit comes through hearing the Word. And where the Gospel is at work, there will be evidence in the life of the believer, but it will also be evident to the world. Let me suggest that if if God is at work in your heart and your life, it will be evident to you and you'll be able to check and balance your own life and say, yes, I'm growing. I'm, I'm coming along. I'm, I'm further along in Christ than I was last year at this time or the year before that at this time. It ought to be also evident to the world around you. As the believer grows, so does his witness. And so does the church grow. You see, if you grow in faith, if you grow in love, if you grow in hope, and your fruit produces in your life because of the love of God at work in you. That's good for us. That's good for others. That's good for the church. 
The church benefits when you and I grow. The church benefits when we enjoy the faith, the love, and the hope that we can have in Jesus Christ. God's work benefits when we grow. The gospel advances and God is glorified. The word is the world is impacted with with a real witness when you and I grow and when we enjoy our faith and our love and our hope and we have it firmly grounded in Jesus Christ, the world is impacted with the gospel, the good news. You see, where these Christians, Christian graces of love and faith and hope are absent, the believer in the church is going to be powerless and ineffective for the cause of Christ. If we lack these, if we lack these, we could have a church that's full and lack these and not be a church that pleases God. But know this, that where these Christian graces are evident and obvious, where there is faith and where there is love and where there is hope and where it is lived out in the world through the lives of God's people, there will be a curiosity, I believe, that spreads in the community that we live in and people will stop and take note. We may not win them all to Christ, but when we live the love of Christ in the world that we live in, that's unusual and people will notice. And there will be more opportunity for sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, for God's glory. So I ask you this morning, do you want to be a witness? Do you want to be a witness? Do you want to know if you're growing? If you're you're Christ-like in your life? Let the grace of God at work in you be a witness to your faith in Christ. Let Let the Word of God do a work at you and be a witness of your love for one another. A faith that moves you to action in loving your brothers and sisters in Christ and loving your neighbors yourself is a faith that is growing, taking root in you. In verses 7 and 8, the church is given an example of how this works. Paul says to the church at Colossae and to us, you want an example? Here's an example a living and breathing example. Look at Epaphras, just as, verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You know, it's a privilege for God's people to be used of God to spread His message, to spread God's good news, to spread the gospel. It's a privilege for us to be used by God. God doesn't have to use us. He chooses to use us. And so we are privileged to be his messengers and fellow servants one with another. And Epaphras was one used by God. He was a fellow servant, as Paul calls him, a faithful minister of Christ. Oh, that you would be fellow servants and faithful ministers of Jesus Christ. What a blessing it must have been for Paul to hear of the church and its faith and love and hope. What a blessing, even though he hadn't met them, what a blessing it must have been to hear of their faith and their love and their hope. And I tell you as your pastor, I long to hear of your love and to hear of your faith and your hope. And I take great joy when I hear of your faith 
and your love and your hope in the community. When you are a witness, I love to hear from others how you are encouraging them and building them up and how the evidence of, the faith, of, the, of your faith precedes you. May it be so that others all over this area, and I know others represented by those here today, may it be so that others all over will hear of our faith, will, will see our love, and understand our hope, and be shown to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by our example. Oh, that they would hear of our love for Christ, our faith, our love, and our hope. I'm going to pray for you in that. I'm going to pray for me in that. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father in heaven, we need your help in this. We are imperfect people. We, are, we struggle day by day with our own sinfulness and often our own selfishness. And so, Father, we come before you knowing that these graces need to be evident in our life. And Lord, I pray that you would, would encourage us and help us in these. Lord, strengthen us in our walk with you. We are so thankful for your word today. Thankful for the truths that we find here. Lord, I pray that the evidence of our faith and hope and love would be obvious to the world that we live in. And that that would open doors of new opportunity to share the love of Christ and the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with those who need you. Lord, it may be so of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.